You are listening to a podcast from The National. It's an oil and gas bonanza in Abu Dhabi this week. The ADIPEC conference and exhibition has been on show. 2,200 exhibitors, over 100,000 visitors expected throughout the week, something like 100 CEOs and ministers in attendance. If you didn't know that Abu Dhabi was an oil town, you would know this week. This is the Business Extra podcast. You're listening to Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief at The National. We're coming to you from our newsroom here in the capital of the UAE. And with me is Assistant Business Editor, Chris Nelson. Welcome, Chris. Thanks very much, Mustafa. So as I was saying, uh, it's been very much about oil and gas this week in the UAE. Um, Adipec, big conference. Uh, It's up there with Sarah Week in Houston in terms of uh, industry shindigs. Uh, I was down there yesterday. It was, I can't begin to describe how busy ADNEC was um, in Abu Dhabi, not to be confused with ADIPEC. ADNEC is the Abu Dhabi National Exhibition Center mm. at which ADIPEC is held. Um, we literally were circling the drain in terms of <laughs> trying to find a parking space. Once you got in, getting through the security, I mean, there was it, the sentiment, if you're going to take ADIPEC as sentiment for oil and gas, was pretty high, I mm. have to say. And the, the the exhibition halls were full, jam-packed. An Adnock stand, where I did a Facebook Live yesterday, you can see that on the national.a, um, was absolutely incredible in terms of the number of people just thronging. Um, I, the BP stand was next door and there was a ballet recital on. Um, <laughs> and then there was all kinds of videos being played on, on the other stands. I saw Hattie Burton, um, it, just to name one of the big oil field services companies. I mean, it, it was incredible. I You see busy events in Abu Dhabi, mm every day but this was on another level another level yeah. adipec this year yeah. i think everybody was saying that that was the anecdotal feedback like they couldn't remember a year where it was this much buzz around yeah. oil and gas yeah i mean it's um it's an interesting time for oil and gas uh, and, and especially here um i guess one of the biggest deals that came out of it was um adnoc awarding uh, the spanish contractor technicas reunidas uh, a 5.1 billion dollar uh, sorry durham contract um to upgrade and expand adnoc's enormous buhasa field oil field um which is about 200 kilometers south of abu dhabi and is in fact one of adnoc's oldest as it started production in 65 um, it's a big deal and uh, it will raise um, uh, crude output from the field to 650,000 barrels per day by 2020. That's 100,000 barrels a day more than, than currently. Um, and the Spanish company aims to finish the project in about, um, about 39 months. Uh, and it's, it will be for um, the operator uh, Adnoc Onshore, which is a sub- subsidiary of, uh, of Adnoc. It's interesting because the backdrop before ADIPEC started was announcement from the Supreme Petroleum Council of Abu Dhabi that ADNOC would increase production of, of oil um, to uh, 4 million barrels a day mm-hmm. by 2020, mm-hmm. I think it was. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and 3.5 then, by the end of this year and 4 million. Yeah, and then, and then on to 5 million in the next decade. Mm-hmm. Um, and so th- at the beginning of ADIPEC, the, the, we're talking about deals. Uh, there was a, you know, a landmark gas corporation deal with, with Saudi Aramco. Uh, there was a concession for Total. There was a concession with any... And then this was an oil deal. Mm. So this was, you know, this was very much like, okay, we talk gas, gas, mm-hmm. gas, and then here's boom. Here's a here's massive an oil, oil deal. Here's a massive yeah. oil deal. So it, it was, it, it's, it's, there's been a lot to say 
obviously behind the scenes in the build up to this event there's been a lot of negotiations going on a lot of energy diplomacy it and it's all being unveiled here um to get the maximum amount of noise around it but certainly if you if you've been looking at our coverage and everything we've been saying it it doesn't really surprise us perhaps the mm. details and the numbers uh do but the fact that these these are happening is very much in line with what's been going on for the last 2 years mm, absolutely um, and, you know, I mean, obviously the UAE is, is such a big player, you know, it accounts for 4.2% of global production of crude. Um, and most of that is from fields that are owned and operated by Adnoc. So it's not surprising that Adnoc is, is kind of the main, you know, probably the main player there really um, at the moment. Um, talking about the any uh, decision, uh, sorry, the any award um, to uh, um, by Adnoc again, uh, of a 25% stake in um, uh, a multi-billion dollar gas concession um, offshore uh, um, uh, Abu Dhabi. Um, and it, it comes at the time, as you mentioned, of the the, the, uh, announced, the Abu Dhabi Supreme uh, uh, Council's announcement of 486 billion dirham package um, in its push to achieve self-sufficiency for, for in Abu gas, Dhabi. Yeah. In gas, yeah. Um, what any will do is pay for um, a quarter of the cost of developing um, the concession, which is the, it's forty years uh, for the Gasha concession, and that includes Gasha, Dalma, Hayil, and other offshore uh, fields. Um, Adnoc said it uh, at Adipec, um, and and Gasha is huge. I mean, it, according to Adnoc, it holds multiple trillions of um, cubic feet of recoverable gas um, to go alongside the enormous uh, fifteen million. Uh, 15 trillion cubic feet uh, announcement that it had discovered earlier this year, I think it was, wasn't it? It was this month. This month, yeah. yeah. There was, it was part of the Supreme Petroleum Council's right. yes, announcement. You know, with that. the investment, the, billion, the hundreds of billions of investment, they also said that they've, they've, they've been exploring and they've discovered, or they think they've discovered a lot more oil and gas. Yeah. I think the the gas, uh, the extra gas reserves as about 7% yeah. to existing reserves. The oil, extra oil is about one percentage. Mm-hmm. But you know the, the the broader picture is is that um, you know while the UAE is taking serious steps to diversify its economy, uh, that you know the the uh, talk of oil and gas's demise is very much exaggerated. Mm, most um, and, definitely, and it will continue to be an important part of the of the economy going forward. Which in a way uh, is interesting because it's been a really tough few years for oil and gas. So if you if you think about from the summer peaks of one hundred and ten plus dollars a barrel uh, to where we went in early twenty sixteen to under thirty dollars a barrel. And then to see uh, so much robustness and excitement from the industry at Adipec mm. uh, this week, it, it shows they've, they, they're very resilient. They've really come through a lot. So I wouldn't bet against them in any in any capacity. No, no. If, if the energy industry is is heading in one direction, and 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 I, you know, that doesn't even include sort of the the, the resilience in the US and North mm. America, um, elsewhere, and and so between sort of uh, North America and the Middle East, it's quite it's quite a bullish period. Uh, at Adipec, we also had the, a lot of talk about OPEC. We had oil ministers. We had our, the UAE energy minister, the Saudi oil minister as well. They were talking about what OPEC might do. There's talk about cutting back on output mm-hmm. uh, in general next year. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, the oil price has been sort of swinging the last couple of days. I think it fell mm. today. Um, um, it's back up again, actually. Okay. Because, uh, so OPEC, a, vol- a little bit of volatility? Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. But OPEC did make um, uh, a statement today saying that if uh, if cuts are needed, it will go ahead with cuts and there will be consensus amongst uh, OPEC plus, you know, the group that includes um, Russia. Um, um, all, all, particularly on the gas side of things, I think um, oil will, will, you know, it, it won't go away. I mean, 
um, the the IA the International Energy Agency um, issued its World Energy Outlook 2018 this week as well, in which it said that natural gas uh, will overtake coal as the world's second largest energy source after oil by 2030, um, and energy demand. Uh, uh, will grow by more than a quarter between 2017 and 2040, assuming more efficient use of energy. But uh, without those improvements, it will, uh, demand will rise by twice as much. Now, for gas, uh, the IEA says global gas demand will increase by 1.6% per year to 2040 and will be 45% higher by then than it is today. So um, Adnox Discoveries and its its moves to expand its uh, its, its um, gas production facilities is very much geared towards what the IEA certainly and everybody else seems to think um, will be an enormous um, growth in, in the gas sector. So There you have it. Gas is expanding. Um, <laughs> so uh, Staying with oil and gas, um, our correspondent, our energy correspondent here at the National, Jennifer Niana, uh, had spoken to uh, the chief executive of Apicorp, which is the Arab Petroleum Investments Corporation. It's the Arab oil producers essentially together backing this 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 investment vehicle. Um, and Ahmed Atiga um, talked to Jennifer about the political and investment landscapes for oil in the Middle East and the and the wider energy sector. And in particular, he talked about the outlook for renewables as there's a shift in the the an increasing shift in the multilateral organisations uh, looking to finance the development of clean energy sources to meet as you were alluding, you know, this growing demand for power. Mm. So let's hear uh, what uh, Ahmed Atiga told Jennifer. Hello, I'm Jennifer Niana, energy correspondent at The National. We're joined today by Dr. Ahmed Atiga, who is uh, the chief executive at Arab Petroleum Investments Corporation, Apicorp. It is a multilateral development bank established in 1975 by the 10 members of an organization known as OAPEC, or Organization of Arab Petroleum Exporting Countries. Uh, OAPEC is headquartered in Kuwait and was started by three very conservative uh, oil exporting countries, Kuwait, Libya, and Saudi Arabia, and now it's been expanded to include more. Um, OAPEC actually began as a reaction to the Yom Kippur War, uh, which was the first instance when oil was used as a political tool in 1973. Times have changed and oil has become depoliticized. But could we see perhaps a re-emergence of oil as a weapon in the oil markets today? So let's hear from Dr. Ahmed Atiga on what he thinks of oil and its potential to be used as a political tool in today's environment. Well, thank you very much for uh, for hosting me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be uh, at the National. Um, I don't think so. I think I think the world has gone uh, way uh, beyond using oil as a weapon. 1973, uh, uh, after the Six Day War, and using uh, oil uh, as a political weapon, I think had its own set of uh, circumstances and um, factors that are no longer uh, valid. Um, both uh, the exporters of oil and the importers of oil have gone way far uh, in the last uh, 40 years or so to um, establish a very strong uh, basis for collaboration, for uh, dialogue, for um, uh, ensuring that there is a win-win uh, 
relationship between the exporters and the importers uh, of, of, of oil. And, and uh, I don't think there will be any set of uh, events or reasons uh, to go back to that uh, extreme uh, uh, position. Could it also be the fact that, you know, there is no centralized power in oil today? There are different centers of power for oil. Um, Correct. Uh, if you, uh, I'm sure you have heard about the OPEC, non-OPEC yeah. uh, uh, agreement, mm-hmm. which uh, w- which happened uh, a year ago or so, and stabilized the oil markets. And you so you're absolutely true. It's no longer, uh, OPEC is no longer a cartel that has all the influence in, in setting uh, the policies and the pricing for this um, uh, precious commodity, but rather a group of uh, of countries with with uh, with uh, balancing act um, among them that makes uh, no one uh, uh, force ready to or uh, able to uh, dictate so Correct. how does this sort of less centralized uh, you know oil market environment impact your decision when it comes to you know finding a company to invest in or looking for potential areas to invest in, how do you look at the markets today Mm -hmm. versus how you did in the 70s? Well, that actually, this question takes me into talking a bit about uh, about Epicorp and why Epicorp was uh, created. Uh, the Arab Petroleum Investment Corporation is owned as a multilateral international organization. It, however, it works like a bank. It uh, was uh, established, in, as you mentioned earlier, in 1975. And it's owned by the 10 Arab oil producing countries, the members of OAPEC. At that time, the vision was for the surplus uh, coming from those countries to be invested in a vehicle uh, that can uh, deploy these funds into um, the promotion and the development of the oil uh, industries in the region. Um, And the creation of uh, Epicorp uh, has come as a direct result of this vision. Um, Epicorp uh, has, can basically uh, either invest as an investor or finance as a lender. So it has a wide range of financial products that it can be applied to um, uh, developing the uh, oil uh, and gas industries. And more recently, actually, the energy uh, sector in its widest uh, uh, domain. Um, initially, uh, Epicorp uh, focus was to um, promote uh, the development of these sectors in the 10 shareholders, in the 10 Arab uh, countries that own uh, Epicorp. Uh, And the selection of the projects was basically based on where uh, the needs of of those countries are in these particular uh, sectors. Um, After, I would say, the first two decades or so, Epicorp has become a much uh, uh, bigger uh, player that invests in uh, other regions, that takes investors from this region to the rest of the world, and has expanded its scope to be not only in the narrow oil and gas industries, but also um, uh, energy, as I said, particularly with the revolution that the energy sector uh, is going through in this region. Um, and the embrace of um, diversifying the energy mix for not not only the oil importers, but also the oil producing countries, 
particularly in uh, in the Gulf. You spoke about diversifying away from traditional mm-hmm. sources of energy. Your background is in the World Bank, mm-hmm. which has recently said it will no longer invest mm-hmm. in upstream uh, hydrocarbons. Um, is there a sort of like mindset revolution within Apicorp where you're actively maybe investing in different, in other sectors like renewables perhaps? Yes. And how much, how does that factor into your investment outlay now? Yes, uh, Apicorp uh, has a, a, a very wide um, mandate and we try to achieve this mandate by selecting uh, both uh, the clients we work with, the countries we work in, and the sectors we want to uh, support. So um, we, our portfolio of both debt and, and equity has upstream, middle stream, downstream, petrochemicals, um, uh, in in in, uh, in in different countries, and in the last ten years, I would say uh, we started to look into the energy sector in in in, in general, renewable uh, energy and diversifying the energy mix. Uh, as I said, has become a strategic objective for uh, this region, and um, we should be uh, as a as a financial arm. We should be at the forefront of supporting this transformation and this transition which not only helps in the diversification of the energy mix, but also helps in the diversification of the economies of these countries, um, particularly the countries that have relied on oil as the only source uh, of, uh, of income and of economic, uh, economic activities. So um, we have started to, uh, to invest in renewable energy, uh, in energy technology, in energy infrastructure, in energy efficiency, uh, both with the public sector and with the private sector. Also, the shift uh, that Epicorp has uh, starting to make uh, is, is, is to enhance the private sector participation in these, in, these, uh, in these economies and in these sectors in particular. The private sector brings capital, brings knowledge, brings discipline, uh, brings better corporate governance. And all of these are um, uh, objectives that uh, someone like Epicorp should, should encourage, should support, and should add value in uh, uh, as well. So yes, uh, our portfolio uh, will become diverse, will have started to become diversified enough to cover uh, these all these uh, bases. Are you looking at any internal targets? Let's say 50% renewables by a certain day. Mm. We're having these targets come up in the Middle East with, mm. you know, various visions, you know, being advanced mm. by governments. Do you have an internal strategy? Mm. Yes, uh, yes, I wouldn't say we have targets per se, but we will select uh, uh, the projects that make sense and we will do as many as our uh, capacity uh, um, allows. Um, uh, So uh, uh, countries that have uh, started on this track, uh, like, uh, you know, the Jordans, the Egypts, the Moroccos of this region, have gone far enough and, 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 and we have to continue supporting them. Uh, we will probably focus more on the countries that have not yet started on that uh, on that track, but but this will not also come at the expense of not doing the traditional oil and gas uh, sectors. There are countries that are coming out of wars, the Iraq and the Libya, and probably in the future Syria. Uh, they will need huge investments uh, to 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 restore. Uh, their traditional oil and gas uh, productions and, and capacities, and uh, certainly uh, an arm like Epicorp has to has to support that. So it will be um, a balanced approach, but one that caters to the needs of each particular 
uh, country and uh, and clients within within that country, be it in the public or in the uh, private sector. Um, yeah. So what would it take to finance upstream investment in countries like Iraq and Libya, where commercial banks are, you know, not keen to go in and mm. you, you need a lot of funding and convincing for IOCs to go back mm. and reliably invest? Mm. How are you in discussions with them? What sort of financing options mm. Mm. are you in talks to, to deliver to Iraq, for instance? Correct. Epicorp is a multilateral uh, d- development bank. So we have we, ha- we have a development mandate to start with and we have to work on commercial basis. So the selection of the projects we enter have to satisfy both these general objectives. We cannot uh, select a project that doesn't make economic sense or is not viable or the risks are huge that we cannot mitigate. So the selection of the projects have to first first and foremost be based on that. Uh, secondly, we can work with NOCs, we can work with, with sovereign governments as a, as a lender, and we can work with the private sector, as I said. The ability of or the, some of the features of Epicorp that can allow uh, us to do more in the countries like Iraq, etc., is, 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 is twofold. One is that we take risks that commercial banks, com- commercial uh, uh, lenders uh, may not be able to take. So we, we have a, a role to, um, to play and to add value and, and go to places that probably others would not touch at this, at this moment. Take risks that are, of course, measured risks, etc. But we have, we have to be at the forefront uh, we're not a, a typical commercial bank that uh, that uh, only looks at uh, at uh, the commercial side of, uh, of 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 how they do business. We have to look at the developmental side. So we are, if you will, the lender of last resort in that in that role. Uh, secondly, we can bring others with us. The ability of Epicorp to mobilize additional funding to any, of course, we cannot finance any project 100%. Uh, I mean, uh, we don't have the capacity for that. However, we mobilize, we bring others with us. When others come with us, they also enjoy the privileges that we have from our member countries in terms of taxation, etc., exemption of taxation, etc. So so these two factors allows us to, to leverage and to, to, to um, um, uh, basically finance and contribute to the financing of larger uh, projects, particularly in the upstream sector, as you mentioned, that countries like Iraq or Libya or Syria will require and will have to do. Um, um, so that this combination of features of Epicorp as a multilateral uh, financial institution, I think um, should uh, allow us, um, along with others, of course. I mean, this is a huge task that would require everybody to to be in the international financial uh, institutions, the private sector, and of course the banking sector in each and every uh, country and in the region. I was looking at the uh, Mina Energy Investment Outlook, which Apicorp released. Uh, yes, some time ago. So. You say that around 345 billion has already been committed to projects under execution in the Middle East, and then you have a further 574 billion uh, that are being planned. Mm-hmm. Um, can you just take us through what sort of energy subsectors these investments are being deployed for, and in which countries we're seeing most activity mm-hmm. come from? Mm-hmm. 
Good questions. The, uh, the, 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 the projects that have been committed are committed and, and the implementation of these projects um, has started in, in, many, in many of the countries of the region. The ones that are planned, um, let's see how, uh, how each country uh, can, can, can start the implementation. The region, as you, you, we all know, is going through uh, difficult uh, times. The geopolitical um, uh, uh, risks are, uh, are huge. Um, uh, the fiscal uh, space uh, in, in each uh, of these countries uh, is going through ups and downs. Um, and the private sector who could uh, replace uh, 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 government uh, financing is also looking to this region with, uh, some, um, with some uncertainties. Uh, so I think all of these factors will, will determine how the planned project, um, projects um, may, may unfold. Uh, countries uh, like uh, the UAE, uh, Iraq, uh, Saudi Arabia, of course, uh, and to some extent Kuwait have gone uh, far enough in, uh, in uh, implementing the uh, investment uh, requirements for their oil and gas sectors. Of course, also Iran has, um, has done a lot. Uh, but uh, you know, in, in a week's time, uh, we will see what happens on November fourth, and how that will be uh, affecting uh, the markets, and as a result, also the uh, the outlook for, uh, for for investments. So, um, uh, so you know, the, the needs are huge. Um, the financing uh, also uh, needs uh, will be will have to be met from all over. Uh, but uh, the risks of implementation uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the immediate future will have to be measured and also um, uh, assessed. So for the planned investments, uh, which is around 600 billion, mm. uh, what are the priority sectors? Uh, is it still upstream no. or are there are different no. sectors? Uh, that are being- we're seeing a shift in the priority, uh, very good question, a shift in the priority of sectors from the traditional oil and gas uh, to more uh, the power sector, the electricity. Um, power investments in the region have, uh, have substantially increased. Um, uh, so we're seeing a, a slight shift to, 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 in terms of priority of the sectors. Renewable energy, for example, uh, is also um, uh, appearing on the map uh, quite well. And we're seeing a slight shift from complete public sector financing to public-private uh, partnership in terms of financing. So we're seeing these two shifts. And I think... Um, I think that will will continue to be uh, the case. There's also a shift downstream. Mm-hmm. We've seen this in the UAE and also in Saudi Arabia, which is which has announced multi-billion-dollar projects both on both coasts. Um, and you've also recently invested in a methanol derivatives project uh, in, in Egypt. Egypt. Mm-hmm. Um, how important is it? Is it, are you actively considering more investment downstream, and why is downstream so important? Yes, we're considering. We're going uh, after where the needs of that of those particular countries are. So Egypt has done quite a bit in the last five six years, particularly in the power sector, and now they're also shifting focus, or um, in addition to the power sector, focusing on the downstream and the petrochemicals. A country like Egypt can have a huge capacity in the in the downstream and petrochemicals. So for Egypt, yes, we will help them in that um, in that direction. Um, 
the project we signed recently with Egypt is to structure the, the, the methanol project to be able to attract private financing. So our first role will be advisory. And this is, again, another another product that, I, uh, that Epicorp gives, which is the advising to the governments to structure uh, uh, larger uh, projects in a manner that can be uh, bankable, uh, viable, and attracts uh, financing. And lastly, Dr. Ahmed, a uh, lot of analysts are betting on oil to breach $100 by the end of this year. How does that change the investment outlook for energy in the Middle East next year? Mm. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's the million-dollar question. Uh, oil oil price now is, is, is hovering around closer to 80. Some of the uh, uh, short-term uh, uncertainties could uh, uh, make it uh, jump to, to, to a higher levels. I think we will go back to the same cycle that happened uh, four or five, uh, uh, well, six years ago before 2014 when the price of oil have reached 120 and 140 and the dynamic of what happens when that um, when we reach that target, I think can, um, can, can happen again. I don't think, however, uh, it will, uh, I think the, the, the OPEC non-OPEC um, agreement uh, is uh, has uh, its uh, own uh, teeth and its own strength and i think um, stabilizing uh, the market would be a priority um, even uh, in in the light of uh, some of the geopolitical uncertainties that uh, that are uh, uh, that may um, uh, transpire so you see investments cautiously coming back there won't be a flood. yes i think i think the investments will continue mm-hmm. i think the countries of the region have made a, a very strategic choice to continue on both um, the transition and the transformation of the energy sector uh, even if the uh, prices of oil can, uh, you know goes up i think with the exception of one or two countries you will see a more sustainable um, transformation and 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 focus on uh, energy um, uh, transition, um, particularly also from the uh, oil uh, producing countries of of the Gulf. Um, uh, one and and two, I think that will bring with it um, continuation of the implementation of the investment uh, outlook. Yes, and 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 with 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 different degrees in every country. Um, but I think you will see more uh, um, more commitment to, to, to that uh, objective. Thank you, Dr. Ahmed. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. This has been an episode of the Business Extra podcast. Uh, let me thank my co-host, uh, Chris Nelson. Pleasure, Mustafa. Uh, we'll have you back again, I'm sure, uh, very soon. Uh, let me... Uh, thank Kevin Jeffers and Andrew Scott our producers for this episode and also to tell you to go and subscribe not only to this podcast but all the Nationals podcasts including Beyond the Headlines and the Cricket Pod um, at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio content of course as always uh, you can come to our website thenational.ae for our fuller coverage of business and other topics and please do join us again next time